Hi, everyone. I won't say good evening because it depends on where you are in the world as to what time of day it is. Uh, my name is Sean Rinaldi and I am the Vice President of the Change Management Institute and welcome to our first Global Voices for 2024. Uh, for those who might be new to the Global Voices, uh, this is a members-only series which focuses on bringing different and global voices to change conversations. Um, tonight, I'm absolutely delighted to share with us our special guests. We've got Dr. Alyssa Farrow and Declan Foster. Um, Dr. Uh, Alyssa, I shall start with, uh, she is a futurist coach and lead consultant with extensive experience in designing and delivering strategic organisational adapt adaptation. Uh, Alyssa has empowered organisations to envisage a future, uh, sorry, envisage positive futures and successfully transform to achieve lasting benefits. Alyssa has a compassionate leadership style and believes all, organization can, all organisations can be a force for good. Uh, Alyssa is a known entity to us. She has been with us for a very long time. Uh, she's been a previous global and Queensland chapter leadership roles here in Australia um, and is widely recognised as a thought leader in her field. She's authored a number of publications and her doctoral research delved into the implications of artificial intelligence on organisational operating models of the future. And we also have with us Declan Foster, who is an industry leader in change management and project delivery and provides consulting services to clients globally. He is ranked in the top 10 global thought leaders in project management by Thinkers360. And pardon me, he started in HR tech before spending several years as a management consulting for, consultant sorry, for PwC and IBM. He's worked as an independent consultant providing expertise in change management and project delivery. And his new startup, Project Power AI, is a project management tool that improves the quality and consistency of communications and reporting for project management professionals while providing significant productivity savings. Um, Declan also has received an honours degree in artificial intelligence and is studying AI for business at Oxford. So we absolutely have some AI powerhouses in our midst this evening. So what I shall do is stop talking and close down our slides and I'm going to hand us over to the very capable hands of Declan and Alyssa to guide us through the session this evening. Thank you, Shan. Thank you very much. So... Um, Welcome aboard, everybody. Uh, we've got the next uh, 55 minutes to provide a fun-filled presentation for uh, you all looking at artificial intelligence and change management. So in our preparation for this evening, Declan and I thought that we would do more of a sort of podcast style, which is a bit more of a toing and froing um, between each other. And we've got a series of, of sort of prompts and questions that we'd like to cover through. Um, there's also going to be heaps of time, hopefully, uh, for questions as well. So if you could uh, put your questions um, in the chat, that would be great. We'll try to get to as many of those uh, as we can. Uh, so the first um, item that we wanted to sort of talk about was just to acknowledge that we're living in this really changing um, context. Like back in uh, 2022, ChatGPT was released out into the wild and artificial intelligence had been around for a while, but this suddenly made a really accessible um, form of uh, language pro processing tool available and accessible. And I'm sure that if I was a teacher, um, I would have been in January 2020, um, 
just going, oh my gosh, like, you know, AI is a long way off. And suddenly um, now we've got AI and kids at very young ages using various instances of artificial intelligence. But um, Declan, um, what what are you seeing from this contextual change that that's, that's implicating organisations from an AI perspective? Well, I mean, it's, it's everywhere nowadays, isn't it? It seems to me that you can't uh, open a newspaper or a news website without seeing some a new story, some new uh, change or revolution, revelation about AI. You know, whether it's advances in you know medicine, impact of AI on jobs, or cybersecurity implications, uh, and then of course not forgetting you know generative uh, AI and the ubiquitous ChatGPT. Um, uh, you know, and then we've got that ongoing debate all the time at that societal level about whether AI can be a, a, a force for good or is it a, a force for evil? Mm, gosh, yes. It's sort of really sort of polar polar ends, isn't it? And, and I sometimes um, have reflected on the fact how um, in this changing context, we don't just have technological changes that are, that are happening, but also globally at the moment, there is so much um, uncertainty going on. And so um, I feel uh, change managers are really required now, now more than ever to bring that sort of great sort of human, human voice and human implication as part of the process. Um, in your intro, intro that Sean gave Declan, she said that you're, you're busy doing some study in artificial intelligence. So yeah. how did you get interested in AI and why is it important to you, this whole ethical stream, which is the topic of our conversation tonight? Well, I've been uh, researching uh, and studying AI for, for the last few years and I just, uh, it's a fascinating topic. And I think it's the implications for organizations are, are, are pretty clear um, and the efficiencies that it can that it can bring, but also at a societal level. And we're starting to see that more and more now. And um, the the impacts on the jobs economy and um, even the impacts on the political discourse. I mean, it's such an important uh, uh, topic. And I think, you know, certainly I think I've been inspired by some of the uh, the thought leaders and the writers out there. Uh, particularly, one book that really influenced me was Cathy O'Neill's book, uh, "Weapons of uh, Math Destruction," yeah. um, which one of the best book titles ever, I think. Um, and a quote that you know that really resonated with me. She said, um, "You know, the privilege we'll see time and again are, uh, are will be processed by people, but the masses by machines." Uh, mm. And so she's talking about that idea, you know, whereby all these uh, uh, machine learning algorithms, which are so pervasive nowadays, whether you're, you know, going for a job or going for a, a bank loan, you know, the, the, these the, these things uh, impact us. Um, or even in the US, you know, the prison sentence that you might uh, receive, that's impacted by, you know, in certain areas, uh, machine learning algorithms. Um, so AI has such great potential but there are really uh, pitfalls and perils that we need to be uh, mindful of. And what 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 sort of got you really interested, Alyssa, in AI and particularly ethics as well? AI ethics. Mm, yeah, uh, for me, I uh, have always been someone considering my original social science background. So my very first job many years ago was working in domestic and family violence prevention um, in counselling roles. And so ethical sort of constructs have always been really important parts of my social justice framework. And um, I was thinking what, um, that I'd really like to do a doctoral 
um, piece of doctoral research and it had been on my bucket list for a while and um, I was having a catch up with some friends and I was saying, ah, you know, people are still struggling with simple change, um, let alone sort of the future of technology where artificial intelligence to me can impact on the whole sort of concept of the human at the centre of the work sort of value proposition, I guess. And I just started thinking, well, I need to sort of blend these these issues together because if we get um, a situation where suddenly there's some new glamorous sort of technology that can uh, potentially re- replace um, workers in roles, and some of the research I've read is up to 300 million um, full-time roles could get displaced by by uh, artificial intelligence becoming part of you know, organizational ecosystems and i and i know that that's offset with with um new jobs being created but i thought man like if this is unchecked like if there isn't an ethical frame uh to underpin decisions that we could see um disadvantage um grow even further that concept of digital divide and so that's i really don't want that to happen um, I really want there to be equity in the decisions that are made. Um, and again, it's all back to my original social social justice roots. But yeah, I think we've got a similar sort of journey here about that we really care for the outcome. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. So I, I think it sort of resonates also because of of the stories that that we hear sometimes about um, already artificial intelligence instances where there's been a bit of an uptick in controversy. So um, I, I sort of think that there's a little bit of a, a shadow side um, of ChatGPT, but there's also a shadow side of artificial intelligence in general. Um, what do you think some of the shadow sides are of this um this really exciting technology, but but it does come with a little bit of a potential risk factor there. Oh, absolutely. And I think you can certainly uh, look at some of the concerns that people have around uh, uh, ChatGPT. Um, so, you know, uh, some people are aware of this, but certainly, um, you know, when you're using ChatGPT, you've got to be careful because it's prone to this concept called uh, hallucinations. And I don't know if you've seen that yourself, Alyssa, because mm. essentially it's just essentially at a very simple level, all something like ChatGPT is trying to do is predict the next word, uh, you know, in the sentence. Or it, it just so happens that now they're so sophisticated that it can predict the next sentence, the next paragraph, the next page. And indeed, predict an, uh, uh, an entire book and we've seen some people are, are writing books now uh, just purely using uh, ChatGPT but mm. because it's just trying to fill in the blank it's prone to hallucination so it'll come up with uh, facts and figures or references you know that sound plausible but when you drill down into them you know that that they're not and you know they're non-existent it's just sort of made up and um, mm. And of course, you've got copyright issues as well that we've all seen uh, in, in the news uh, lately. And even, you know, these uh, generative AI tools like Stable Diffusion and Midjourney, um, you know, using data that's, you know, allegedly being scraped from the web, you know, uh, without the artist's consent to generate mm. uh, uh, that new image um, or those images. And I guess the other thing that really springs to mind is, um, you know, we have to be there's a whole economy sitting behind uh, AI, generative AI and ChatGPT. And I know that um, Time magazine, some of you saw that, they did a great uh, uh, article, an expose, uh, I think it was last year, where they showed that, you know, the people 
who were actually training the model or helping to train the, the model, you know, the chat GPT model, um, were uh, workers in Kenya and they're being mm. paid less than, you know, two US dollars an hour and they have to sort of shift to and read, you know, uh, hate speech and descriptions of, of violence and abuse in order to train these models, you know, so that we can, in some ways, we're having a bit of fun playing around with them. But, you know, behind the scenes, there's a lot of uh, uh, ethical issues that we need to be aware of. And um, what's some of the things that, that maybe you've seen as well with some of your clients or in your research? Yeah, thank you. Um, one thing that comes to mind um, at the moment in Australia, we have uh, Taylor Swift mania happening. I'm not sure if anyone on the, on the call who lives in Australia has gone to her concert, but she had like 96,000 people in Melbourne over the over the weekend, like huge amount of people. But but as you were talking, it reminded me that there's been some recent controversy around Taylor Swift just in terms of deep deep fakes that have been created of her. Um, yeah. In in very sort of vulnerable um, situations, and how um, the realism that is coming through in AI models and use of imagery um, is actually being used as another form of violence um, against um, celebrities or violence against people uh, more generally. Um, and you know, I know when I was growing up, the concept of um, bullying used to be reasonably sort of straightforward, I guess, in terms of a, a you know a person to your face or a person to uh, in the form of uh, maybe graffiti, but now, like you know, these sorts of options can be quite um, uh, damaging for people. Um, so, so that's something that comes to mind. But also the fact that the shadow side of um, AI instances is just the the burn level of CO two um, annually. I think ChatGPT is like eight point four tons of CO two annually just from ChatGPT alone. So we're sort of thinking, well, at the moment, you know, we're not all using solar and wind and, and they themselves as energy uh, energy consumption elements. Like we're, we're still burning a lot of carbon um, just to have this cool tech. Um, yeah. So that in itself is something that I don't think too many organisations are thinking about. Um, and now that this year in particular with um, broader um, targets around um, climate, climate change, and social and um, sustainability and economic goals. That maybe there needs to be a little bit more of an open conversation in relation to that um, process as well. Yeah, so the shadow side is definitely there, and and what I encourage executives to do, as I know you would do, is to make sure that you're really clear on what you know. Don't just automate just because you can, like think seriously about the areas that um, you do not want to change. What do you not want to erode in your organization? Um, yeah. Because I, I know for me, like if I'm an older person, I would be loving to get my um, pills from um, a human nurse with a, a warm hand and a warm heart, as opposed yeah. to um, a robot dispensary. But um yeah, it's sort of quite interesting when you sort of put it into workplaces of the future, long-term futures, how um, it could be a form of um, cheaper service delivery while people who have a lot of money like Taylor Swift get the VIP human-only service. Who knows? Yeah. And you, you, you mentioned there, yeah, you mentioned there your conversation with uh, executives, Alyssa, which is uh, really interesting because um, 
certainly I think, you know, having a, a, an ethical approach to AI is the right thing to do. Yeah, uh, yeah. We all hope we do the right thing, but it's also good for business. Did you have any thoughts on that or um, how are you having those conversations with, with executives and organizations about how it's good for their business as well? Yeah, yeah. Some of the interesting uh, conversations with organisations I've been having recently is about extending the concept of portfolio decision making. So I know the CMI have a really great portfolio change management product. I'm just call out for CMI's product (laughs) in that area. But um, yeah, that that essentially um, from a portfolio perspective, it's it's I think starting to bring in some different sorts of decision making criteria that include um, some sort of ethical frame. I'm encouraging organisations, if they don't already follow a industry ethical standard or practice, to create one for themselves and have a legitimate conversation about, well, um, what, what are, what's our ethical standing when it comes to artificial intelligence? Um, because maybe we need to actually come up with our own ethical frame or at least check for vendor affiliations, check for uh, vendor um, ethical codes of conduct and what tests have been actually occurring to make sure that we can sort of trust that this isn't like a fully biased product that we're now entering um, our data into. Um, so certainly for me, that have been some of those conversations with, which aren't normal weirdly that's what people are saying we've never talked about this in our organization ethics like what like what what are you hearing yeah well it's really interesting because um um, we mentioned earlier that uh, i'm studying ai for business uh, at oxford and um it's i've been really impressed that ai ethics is a core part of that um curriculum and which is surprising to me in one way but also uh, uh, really reassuring and one of the models that we sort of came across, uh, one of the professors was talking us through explaining why ethical AI is good for business. He said that there's sort of three components you can look at. There's um, legitimacy, uh, competition and control. Mm. So, you know, so first of all, regulators are concerned with the legitimacy of practices in your organizations. And again, you want to keep on the right side of the regulators, as all businesses do. Um and then for competition, you know, for consumers, you know, all things being equal, consumers are likely to choose the most ethical alternative that's out there, you know, in terms of safety and privacy. Um, and then sort of even internally uh, in control, there's a greater insistence on better controls and uh, mitigation strategies um, from folks like uh, risk managers within organizations looking at mm. the potential harms, you know, uh, and risks. From around AI, so they're they're, they're kind of uh, insisting, you know, that organisations now have a proactive approach to this. So I think that's where it's really where we're saying it's the right thing to do, as you know, from a societal level, as a, from a human level, and um, but it's also good for business. Yeah, it definitely is. And I know where I would like to purchase from if I knew that an organisation, you know, it's a bit like the in Australia we have like this tick for healthy foods, like um, you know, help heart smart, I think it's called or something like that. Yeah. And so it's similar, like you know, but but to have um a, an accreditation or maybe not accreditation, but some sort of certified tick to say that this this is as ethical as we can get. And interestingly, um one of the the standard group um i triple e which are engineers and computer scientists and um they actually have got quite a lot of um great standards committees at the moment that are open to 
of people, like including all of us, to come and um, be part of the conversation because they're wanting to sort of try to have a, um, a an industry association sort of say, these are the standards that we expect. These are the standards that we could theoretically assure against. So, um, definitely worth checking out the IEEE, um, which is sort of all all for engineers and computer scientists, but they're 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 great great to sort of um have that connection with, um and this yeah. is I think that that blend to regulation that's happening at the moment too. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I, I don't know uh, how you're finding that over in Australia. Certainly, uh, a key thing over here is the EU regulation. Yes, um, that's just uh, I think it's just been passed. Actually, it's just uh, uh being. Socialized yeah. now before it becomes uh, formal, um, and and what I like about that is they've actually put in these different levels of risks or harm. So depending on you know the risk or harm, uh, potential risk or harm from your particular particular application or, or product really depends on the level of scrutiny or the level of uh, regulation that you face. So I think mm. that's a really sensible approach because you know we don't we don't want to stifle innovation. But at the same time, we need to be mindful of, of the potential harms of AI. So I think they've actually struck uh, a, a good balance there. What have you seen in Australia, Alyssa? Yeah, in, in Australia, uh, we don't have any formal reg regulation yet. There's a lot of conversations going on about it. There's some various um, government uh, committees at federal level um, who are forming position statements. It's a little bit like in America, um, the Biden administration, I think in, what's the date, October 2023, um, they actually uh, released an executive order in the US um, and that's like a very firm perspective. But the EU are closer to actually having um, some enacted legislation, even if it's just a little bit of time off yet. But in Australia, it still feels that we're still a little bit far off that process. And, um, and I know that in one of the stats that I saw um, more generally globally um, in 2022, so that's, you know, 18 months ago roughly, um, 37 countries had formal regulation um, in place. But but again, because these um, instances are global, it, it, it plays quite an interesting conversation into even just, well, how do we actually um, regulate a global product when theoretically concepts like national sovereignty might mean that what might be fine within Australia might not be fine um, where, where you are, Declan, or what might be fine in China might not be fine in India. And, and so then um, it then plays a bit of a tricky role for um, – for uh, so the the creators of this software to sort of navigate that sort of really interesting sort of regulatory um, landscape, which at this stage, there's not a lot of precedent that's been set. So, um, yeah. it's really the time, I think, if anyone has interest in this sort of stuff, to get involved in the conversations as much as you can. And for me, um, promoting change managers are all meant to be about people in the process. Let's make sure that the, the human is not out of the loop um, in this process and that they're front and centre as part of that ethical lens, but also um, enacted and enshrined eventually into policy um, and legislation. Um, but I, I think it, it's it, because of that gap in regulation, Declan, I think um, it, it's almost coming down to industry setting a degree of standards first and then government following. Is, yeah. is that what you're getting that hunch? 
Before Declan answers yeah. that, I might just draw your attention to the chat box because there was a comment in the chat around um, whether this genie is already out of the bottle uh, in this respect. Do you do you agree? Do you think it's a little bit too far gone already? Or <laughs> do, uh, there we are. Declan, do you want to go first and then I'll, I'll answer that. So, Michelle, thank you. You can see that in the it's- chat. Uh, it's a great question. That's the million-dollar question, isn't it? Yeah, there's some good ones there. I think in some respects it is, and we're playing catch-up, but I think uh, at least we're aware that we're playing catch-up. I, I, I like to think that maybe what we should be doing is trying to learn lessons from you know some of the dangers that we've seen with uh, social media and the impact mm-hmm. that that has had in society and try and learn lessons from that. But uh, in some respects, I think the genie is out of the bottle and we are playing catch-up. But again, I think at least we're aware we're playing catch up and we're trying. That's my perspective on it. How about you, Alyssa? Yeah, yeah, I'm a, a little bit the same. Um, and I think I I just look at simpler examples again from an Australian perspective when um, Uber um, disrupted the taxi industry in Australia and taxi industry weren't really looking for it. I don't think. And all of a sudden, um, this this app unregulated um, started sort of um, meaning that people could essentially compete with a very well entrenched and heavily sort of unionized um, industry. So um, yeah, this this time right now is just um, the opportunity to 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 keep the conversations going. But but I think like Michelle's saying, the genie's out of the bottle a little bit, and and I guess yeah. because of um, the risks that are involved at the moment, where AI can be good good for for us, and also could be theoretically used as a, a threat. Um, to humanity, um, yeah. yeah, it's a major, major point that um, requires governments to hurry up um, but also requires self-regulation to a point within an ethical framework. Um, um, yeah. yeah. Do, do you want to answer just a couple more questions, Declan, that are there before we move yeah, on to uh, what think, this means yeah, for CMs? There's some, yeah, there's some really fascinating questions coming through. And I think on the subject of, you know, whether the genie is out of the bottle, I think somebody else had the question about, uh, you know, the singularity. Yeah. Um, and for those who, who perhaps don't, not familiar with that, that term, you know, the singularity is where, uh, at least the definition of it that I'm familiar with is where uh, AI meets or exceeds uh, human level intelligence. Mm. And it's after that that we can't really predict the future. There'll be such rapid change and exponential growth in technology and AI developments that we can't actually uh, predict the future after that point. Mm. Um, interesting, though, I remember... Uh, one of my favorite quotes is actually from uh, Andrew Ng. He's one of the, the leading lights in, in machine learning uh, globally. And he was saying once that, um, you know, worrying about an AI sort of evil super intelligence and singularity today, it's a bit like worrying about, you know, overpopulation on the planet Mars because we, you know, we haven't even landed on the planet yet. And there's more immediate concerns uh, that we need to address. What are your thoughts on the technical singularity and whether we've reached it yet, you know, or we don't even know it or uh, when we might reach it. Yeah. Well, that was, wasn't that that controversy? That was a conspiracy theory about the open AI sort of um, changes to leadership <laughs> recently yeah. where someone said they've already done it and they just um, suddenly the board has found out about um, whether that's total BS or not. I'm not sure. But, um, yeah, but but I, I think that, uh, you know, like as a futurist, it's always a scenario um, and, 
And I just uh, am also thinking one of my favourite authors in this uh, space uh, is Mo Gordat, who I uh, met in uh, Dubai at a big project management conference there. And Mo talk, talks about the concept that imagine that AI is like a little child and um, in a little child that, that we know from our psychology practices and neuroscience that if a little child is fed bad information, bad food, um, a bad context, that the little little kid may not always end up being a bad person, but there is often an indicator that that person may model what they see. And I certainly have worked in, in the fields in community um, support and youth justice for a long time, so I don't sort of say that's that's a 100% guarantee at all. But I think that because AI is, is being fed data and the data out there that it's being fed is crazy, um, it's good quality, it's good stories, it's bad stories, it's um, the indication of what we truly are um, in all of our <laughs> glory um, that I really hope that we're feeding the machine um, information and have a, a, a right amount of um, uh, sort of uh, algorithmic uh, uh, check checkpoints, for want of a better word, um, to, to sort of enable... Um, you know, flags to be raised before any final decisions are are made that are going to be to the detriment of humans. And we've seen some precedent already starting to be set where maybe um, if it if it is a sentient decision or if the human layer doesn't have that sense-making, that ability to say, hang on, there's something sus here, that um, there's been examples, I think, in the UK Postal Service might have been one, where where because of technological coding, uh, people people were, were thought to have been stealing money, but actually it wasn't the case. In Australia, we had robo which was, again, AI sort of part of the process, but not the full process, but making decisions on whether people owed money back to government yeah. for their um, social security payments. And, and it got it wrong. And, and there's going to be people who, who may be facing criminal charges. So we're going to see, I think, a bit more of that. Um, but singularity, um, yeah, I think it, it will happen, but I'm really um, curious as to whether whether or not it will be publicly told that that has happened. Um, it probably right. has happened somewhere, I would suggest. In the lab <laughs> That's somewhere. the conspiracy, yeah, which, which is why Gordon's got a good question. Um, interested in the speaker's views on the application of AI, currently seeing it to use to reduce costs and to enhance sales, so about profit-driven. What are the policy opportunities to encourage the positive power of AI to be used to address major challenges of humanity like homelessness, climate change, and any other big issues people can think of? That's a good question, Gordon. Do you want to start with that one, Declan? Yeah, well, uh, it's uh, I guess AI is like AI is like any other technology or any other tool. Really, it's how you apply it and and how you use it. But we've certainly seen that it's uh, it's been more to the fore in uh, commercial applications uh, in organisations, uh, and we haven't really gotten around to you know using it appropriately yet uh, to solve some of these bigger uh, societal issues. And I guess it's probably, you know, it's it's probably because in, in some respects, AI is still in its infancy, although you could say it's been around since, you know, the 1950s, to certainly the 1960s. Um, but the advances, you know, I guess in the last uh, couple of decades are still fairly, fairly new for machine learning. So I'd say 
we are focusing on the commercial benefits and let's hope that we can use it to solve some of these broader societal issues in the coming years. Yeah, I think I think the data is being used in um, climate modelling um, and uh, there's examples also about um, being able to sort of understand, you know, due to um, analysing vast tracts of global data about wind and wave and temperature, et cetera, et cetera, these models are starting to to at least give a few more pointers um, for for where people need to respond. Um, but but I also um, acknowledge that uh, there are great advances starting to be in health in healthcare uh, and health economics as well. And AI was used as part of the whole pandemic response as well in many circumstances to start to understand where outbreaks might occur, um, who was more vulnerable in some circumstances. Um, and also has been uh, used quite extensively as an additional, um, might call it doctor, but but additional sort of lens to to help with diagnosis of of um, cancers, uh, to analyse um, X rays and radio radiology um, texts as well. So there's some really exciting stuff happening in that space. Um, one one group that I work with um, uh, are a group that work extensively with people with disability and their families. And they're um, also looking at the positive benefits for people with disabilities to utilise an um, AI to and robotics to a point to overcome uh, some of the, the personal sort of live challenges that they have. Uh, and there are some fantastic stories of where um, AI is being utilised um, so that people who uh, traditionally may even be um, nonverbal um, but theoretically can use um, different forms of communication such as stylus use, et cetera, can start to sort of be um, augmented uh, and by AI um, um, to be able to sort of hold down um, roles that that previously were not um, were not uh, possible for them to do. So there's some excellent stories um, coming out in terms of positive uses of AI, and we need to balance the good with the bad. I think as well. Yeah, keep those um, keep those uh, comments coming. But we might um, move on if you're okay, Declan, to why yes, you think absolutely. it's important. Yes. Yeah, to change yeah. managers. So why do you think it's important? We've got a, a bunch of, you know, 65 change managers or people interested in change on our call um, and leaders as well. So so why do you think understanding AI, ethics, the regulation, the context that we're in is important for change managers? Well, actually, you touched on it earlier, Alyssa, when you talked about change managers, you know, focusing on uh, on people, on the impacts on people. You know, in my experience, really, that's what change managers do. Uh, mm. uh, technology projects, for example, you know, it's the change managers. We're the ones who focus on the impacts on the people. What's the changes for them? And this uh, and AI is essentially another piece of technology, albeit probably the most amazing technology, the most impactful technology that, that we've ever seen in our lifetimes. But change managers then are then really well-placed to help organizations uh get ready for the impacts of AI, mm. but also embrace the many benefits, you know, that that, that the AI can bring. Um, you know, for for example, a key a key component of successfully bringing AI into any organization, for me anyway, is around sort of education uh, and training people up and educating them about 
some of the the core concepts of what AI is, and uh, for example, demystifying AI, uh, so that uh, leaders and in fact all employees in the organization can have an informed discussion about the impacts of AI. We yes. all need to understand it a little bit more so we can have informed decisions. Um, and I think change managers, you know, have that history and that skill set of looking at technology changes from from the people uh, the people side. How about you, Alyssa? Why do you think it's important? Well, we're, we're, we are so important, <laughs> change managers, um, and I I wave our flag as as much as I can because it, it's still in many organisations the decision about. Um, just saying, oh, well, you know, the business can absorb the change or oh, the leaders can lead the change and manage that, can't they, but when they've got busy day jobs as well. So, we we know that's yeah. the, 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 the challenge as part of a change management life. But um, in my doctoral studies, um, I... I sort of unpacked and explored what some of the implications would be on the change management approach um, in the future. Um, And in particular, change managers, I think, because of our role in not only being part of the um, implementation of AI instances, but because um, artificial intelligence is going to touch on um, basically every operating model that exists it's going to um, also touch on our culture in our organisational settings um, that change managers uh, need to extend um, their impact analysis. They need to extend their readiness assessments because in some circumstance, if AI theoretically might augment or offset my role, um, in my research, I said, well, there's this notion of having a hybrid team where maybe AI will actually be my colleague in the future. And so it means yeah. that everything will change, like the process of you know how I communicate with you as my teammate um, will change. And AI will theoretically maybe replace one of my teammates, or AI might be an extension of me, or might be an extension of um, my leader as well. And I think, again, as a futurist, I set all my, my, my thinking in advance so that it can then be something that will say, well, what does that mean for us um, today? And, and I'm thinking change managers will be more important in the future than, than now, because who else has got the skill set, the tool set, yeah. the mindset to, to actually help navigate an organisation through what could be an incredible, complex uh, change process. This is, for me, more than just a tech install because it, it does impact not just on the technology architecture, it actually impacts on the meaning of work and the human at the, yeah. at the moment, the centre of that um, that workflow and our customer experience. So, yeah, I think change managers have to be really aware of the opportunities that are going to come our way with this, but also know that their voice has to be around the table for this. Yeah, and I was talking to someone recently and saying, you know, in the future now, we have to treat AI as a stakeholder. That's another key change for for change managers. So, it, you know, it's a whether it's a, a chatbot or a particular prediction tool, you know, it's an actual stakeholder now. I think yeah. the, other, the other thing about, and um, I was thinking, Alyssa, uh, as well as, you know, change managers having that central role and that central capability uh, of helping to implement AI into organizations, 
it's also going to change how we do our work as well. So, you know, we can see uh, some of us starting to use these tools, particularly around, you know, generative AI and uh, open AI and chat GPT, using those tools to help us in our jobs. And that will become, you know, increasingly so. Um, and I've seen, you know, you can see probably the project management space, there's probably a lot more uh, software and companies out there that are, uh, you know, implementing or using AI, but we'll start yeah. to see uh, in the coming years, you know, lots more tools and, and companies uh, with offerings specifically yeah. for managers in the AI space. Yeah. So. Declan, did you hear there's a quote from Gartner? You know, everyone thinks Gartner is reasonably reputable. Um, I hope, I think, they're a good research company. Um, that Gartner were predicting that by 2030, um, 80% of a project manager's job would be could be done by artificial intelligence. I, I yeah. gave that stat to um I, I spoke at the Brisbane Change Management Institute, so our Queensland chapter Christmas party, and I said that that means that we will be on top <laughs> finally. Like we'll be like change managers will be like where we need to be in that you know beautiful hierarchy of project. It will be sponsor, change manager, project manager. Like after that, but <laughs> but <laughs> maybe that's just a, a secret hope. But but um, okay. Gartner has got some credibility, but um, but. I I don't believe that yet in many of the clients that, that I work with. Um, the thought of not having a project manager um, just seems absurd at the moment um, yeah. in terms of eighty percent of their job being taken. Yeah, yeah. I agree. Yes, I think. Well, I think we may. I think we'll have fewer project managers potentially. And yeah, but we still need project managers. But the the flip side of that argument is actually that we'll need. Uh, more project managers and indeed more change managers to help us, you know, embrace AI and implement AI and realize the benefits of AI in organizations. So although, you know, and we we're talking earlier about uh, uh, the the impacts on the jobs economy, you know, there's people that are saying, well, you know, it'll, AI will replace jobs, but then there'll be some other jobs that, that it will create. And I don't know whether that's true or not, but certainly the only thing we can say is true, there'll be... A, a severe amount of disruption in the coming years to the jobs market. And mm. I, think, I think the jobs of project managers and change managers are, are very safe um, yes. for, for a long time. Yeah, yeah, um, because... Oh, sorry. Oh, I just jump in there because we've got some questions coming in thick and fast, but I want to make sure that we've covered all of your content as well. So what I might do um, for the people who are providing some absolutely fascinating questions, um, I might let Declan and Alyssa finish their, their pre-planned uh, content and then we'll jump into some questions if that works for you. Yeah, that's fine. That's I think we're we're yeah. covering some of them too. I'm keeping one sort right. of eye on Declan and one eye on <laughs> information. But but I think um I, I think the di like the di diagnostic power of AI and a number of instances and tools that exist now in project management spaces. I, I think the first group that is going to get great benefit from it will be in portfolio and pro like program and project offices, the groups that are doing the data analytics. So um at the moment you'll be able to, um, you know, theoretically think, well, if I've got a very complex change process and in the old days it's an Excel spreadsheet, you know, we'll be able to sort of have um, some immediate insight. 
comments um, start to be generated. We might be able to use ChatGPT if it's appropriate too, because I, I don't like people up, uploading their private um, business data to ChatGPT because it, it's in some yeah. random cloud, not in our own. Um, but, but you know, what we can do to sort of shortcut or, or provide first drafts of um, reports or first drafts of um, key messages, for example. Um, but, but certainly, um, you know, at the moment, we still need that collaboration, the communication, the cooperation um, that comes from change managers working with business analysts and, and the business and customers to make sure they have that finger on the pulse. So, yeah, yeah, that's a good, good, good range of questions. A um, couple more bits from us then, Sean. Um, so the next one, um, Declan, I think. About how how do we prepare our organisations? So this whole notion of proactive leadership. What yeah, I mean, like? I've been thinking about that a lot uh, mm. lately, and um, I've been doing some work uh, with some organisations to prepare uh, an AI ethics framework and how they can implement uh, uh, AI and indeed AI ethics uh, into their uh, organisations. Um, so one of the things, and what I've found at the moment, and is really it's either a, a top-down or, or bottom-up approach. And, and what I mean by that is some organizations are starting at the top and they're creating the, the overarching AI ethics statement and, uh, and saying, well, what is our position as an organization towards uh, AI and, and how does it align with our values as an organization? And then some other organizations, probably the, the bottom-up approach is where they, they're starting uh, with particular policies and procedures. Um, and the most common example that I've seen is, is, is obviously with the, um, you know, as you might have guessed, with ChatGPT and, and generative AI and how we use that. So they're, at that kind of micro level, they're setting the policies and procedures, how you can use that. And uh, as Alyssa was mentioning, what data you can upload to ChatGPT or, or you can't, for example, and how you might use it. Um, and so there's two different, and uh, you know, it's, it's not a right or wrong, but it's two different approaches, uh, top down uh, uh, or bottom up. And that's really what I've seen. How about you, Alyssa? Yeah, I think I think part of that preparation process comes with um, leaders being aware of what um, what AI can and can and can't do at the moment, and and so that they're not sort of glamorized by by you know very good sales engines that that come with people sort of saying it, it can it can bring this uh, amazing efficiency, and, and I like there's a question that um, Kirsty um, has said saying you know if you're looking to approach AI governance and management that doesn't impact business agility and still allows them to respond quickly to changes, what approach would you recommend and why? And and I think at this early stage because of things are changing dramatically. People don't have regulation. People don't have policy. They don't even have their internal positions necessarily sort of sorted out in terms of, well, how how, how do we even deal with cyber crime or cyber security is still a challenge for some organisations, smaller organisations. So I think it's about leaders needing to be proactive in um, this in, and change managers, getting an understanding and appreciation for what a AI is so be open open to understanding what what it is, but also um, make sure that we um, design any strategic approaches that we have um, where there is um, what I call like joined up views of strategy. So gone hopefully are the days um, where we do our 
automation strategy separate from our strategic plan, from our workforce strategy. Like in my doctoral studies, I've worked with 140 people exploring a whole pile of other things, including the adaptation approach that they preferred. And they said, we've got to get rid of the silos. Like we're looking at um, in the future, um, a target operating model that won't be fully human. It'll be hybrid. It'll be machine, human, um, sort of vendors, suppliers. It will be a different sort of context depending on the type of organisation and industry that you're part of. And so you've got to sort of get your your base um, position right, but then also make sure you've got the appropriate checks and balances in place, which I would suggest would be more important over the next five years while things are dramatically changing. But then it will be hopefully once um, we go through a bit of a hump of process um, embedded and encoded within the AI instances that we um, purchase and get access to, which at the moment I don't think does it, it, it doesn't really exist in that same way that you can put your hand on your heart and say, yep, you know, this is this is fit for purpose, this is bias free. Um, so that that that's sort of what I think and proactive leadership to me is active, like the active bit proactive. Like we're thinking of, of the future, we're back casting, thinking back to say, well, what what do we need to do today to make sure that we don't um, erode or break our business, um, lose that um, business agility, as Christy says in her question, um, but we still um, are not sort of, uh, to coin a terrible phrase, from Roger's laggards in the process. I hate that term, but it's part of, you know, <laughs> And we understand what it means. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. I might tell us down into the weeds just quickly because I've seen a couple of questions come through. Um, but it's a it's around like the tools. So as change managers, you know, is there anything that you would absolutely add to your toolkit? We've talked a lot about Ch- chat GPT. Are there others that we need to be aware of? And then also a really intriguing one around the IP. So you mentioned before, Alyssa, if people are putting things into their um, into chat GPT, well, you know, it's outside of your clouds um, and, you know, who knows where it's being leveraged. So, um, yeah, what would you recommend in terms of tools and what other gotchas around IP? Yeah, wow. Well, tools, I, I n- normally have a slide that I can refer to. I'm happy to, to send it around that is current, current, um, tools that have some form of AI augmentation in them that are used in the project context. So there'd be some of those that would be also relevant because we, we have to plan and change and manage our risks and stakeholders that could be, be part of that. Um, I don't have that right front and center in front of me, but Declan, do you know any off the top of your head tools? Um, well, I, th- I think obviously the, the chat GPT and the various forms of that and uh, the, the, the models available from uh, OpenAI, uh, uh, Bard, of course, um, you know, th- there's lo- lots of tools out there and lots of tools are now uh, have uh, AI components uh, mm. within them. So lots of tools, even on, on Zoom for, you know, helping you summarize the meeting minutes. Uh, and I think Teams does that quite well as well. So you can see um, a lot of uh, tools, the standard tools we use having AI components to them uh, or being enhanced by by AI. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, and of course, as well, I'll put a plug in my own piece of software that's uh, <laughs> going to be this year, of course, which is around uh, uh, Project Pal AI, which is around improving uh, the communications ability for, for project managers first. Um, but uh, yeah, so I think, you know, even just 
getting good use out of the the, the large language model tools like ChatGPT, uh, etc. That's really a good start. That's where I'd start. Yeah, I was going to say shameless plugs. Plugs are absolutely allowed, Declan. So, um, and Alyssa would really appreciate if um, flick it through, and we'll see. Yeah, yeah, happy, to, happy to. But in terms of IP, it's really tricky um, because intellectual property. Um, I spoke on a panel uh, last year on creativity, art, and artificial intelligence, and I was there as the futurists and social scientists. Um, so um, we had artists actually say. Saying, you know, we we know that if if you utilize certain certain softwares, including Midjourney, when and you say, imagine a Monet painting of a robot, it will generate one for you, stylized in that sort of approach. So, who owns Monet's, you know, style of uh, of painting? Um, but interestingly, on that panel, there was a. Um, a an artist from one of our uh, our Aboriginal uh, communities here in southeast Queensland, and he um, was talking about um, just the unchecked use of um, almost tr- sacred traditional markings that that in our Aboriginal culture in Australia, like you can't just use use a dot painting structure because the dot painting structure is actually got significant cultural relevance for um, different different. Um, tribal groupings and language language processes. So if AI was sort of hacking into that, what does that even mean from there? So it was a really interesting process um, because there isn't a line yet. And at the moment, if people artists are getting paid for their work and suddenly AI is, you know, doing a replica of it, um, yeah. it might mean that they no longer can get paid for their um, for their work. So it's it, that's that's IP in terms of artistry, but IP in terms of intellect, um, again, it's it's just being checked and, and precedented now. Mm. Yeah, mm, it's yeah. a really good question and one that I believe organisations should all have a position on what you do not load up into AI or publicly accessible AI processes, um, a protocol that that you just follow and it's like a code of conduct, like don't put something on Facebook about your business, don't put you know your business financials up in chat gbt because you don't know where it's it's actually going yeah, yeah. It's, um, it's it's almost like with legislation you know you it gets tested through precedents and and case law being fl- played out and it just hasn't had enough yet yeah yeah um, <laughs> yeah um, we've got um i'm, I'm just um because we've been talking about our ground rules around adaptation but recommended reading some of the books that declan and i thought um, might be of use um, for people, uh, I, I also like the Mo Godat um, option. He, he's a really great accessible writer as well, does some really interesting clips on YouTube. But um, I thought we've got five minutes for questions, Declan. Do you want me to just fast track to the last element? I think so, take- yes. Yeah. yeah. Okay. These are our contact details if you want to keep the conversation flowing. There's a little mid-journey example of um, happy change managers working with robots in the future. <laughs> it took 15 seconds to generate that, by the way. So That's very cool. Um, I think I've summarised now. Uh, uh, Alyssa, uh, can you go back to the book? Thank yeah, you. There we go. Um, I, I, I realised as I did this, I really should have chucked this into chapter DPT and summarised it. But anyway, <laughs> use my own puny human brain to try and do it. Um, I, I'm going to ask you both a question based on the kind of themes that I've seen coming through um, the chat. Basically, um, there's there's so many opportunities that AI presents 
And I, I, I think there's no question on that. Uh, but I suppose some of the the ways that people are looking to exploit them or thinking, hey, we might go in this direction or we might go in that direction is almost kind of based on the assumption that humans are logical creatures. And as we have learned as change managers, uh, it might make perfect sense to do something and yet you will still get change resistance. So um, there was some flavours of questions around how do we build in the human experience into AI? How do we, you know, are we, are we going to lose parts of our job? In a couple of sentences from each of you, how do you think that's going to look into the future? Do you reckon AI will get, will learn to be, a, you know, an illogical human creature in the end, or will it always be bound by, you know, laws of logic? I just think that um, it is it is that that same idea of garbage in, garbage out um, that that has been in place for a really really long time, and and I think that. Um, there's been at least uh, attention given to the bias in um, AI algorithms, especially uh, from Silicon Valley, um, you know, white male, probably in their 40s, not not fully sure of that now. And there's been a a big push, especially over the last 10 years, um, about um, getting more diversity and appreciation in, um, in the people who actually create uh, these machines in the first place. So, so for me, I'm I'm hopeful that there will be at least um, a, a bit of bit more balance. Is probably a, a nice way of putting it, or a hope. I really hope um, with the work that's happening around ethical standards and legislation, as well as diversity in the teams that are creating these machines. Um, yeah, that 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 will help with that sort of um, lo- logic, um, bringing in a a voice for for the voiceless currently um, in design. So for me, it's it's got to be co-designed, um, and um, the the barrier of making it just in a in a shop with super geeky people doing all of this work on their own is not it's not sustainable in the future. It has to be more um, connected to community. But Declan, I'll throw to you. Yeah, I, I love that you mentioned the, the fact this this uh, almost the notion of the brotopia, you know, in California who are creating all of this stuff. We need we need more the diverse voices. Absolutely. Uh, maybe my one sort of last piece of advice to anyone is it's um it, this is it's it's an over it can be an overwhelming concept to get to grips with and where to start. Um, and in, in one of the recommended readings there, uh, I, I put that uh, read Blackman's book, Ethical Machines, and I love the way he makes it as simple as possible. You know, there's there's literally uh, uh, hundreds of ethical principles that you could address. And he says if you focus just on three, which is privacy, uh, bias, and transparency then you're off to a good start. So if you just, if you're wondering where to start or it's all a bit overwhelming for your organization, if you consider where you are just in those three headings, those three ethical principles, privacy, bias or fairness and uh, transparency. Back to you, Sam. Beautiful. <laughs> Thank you so very much. Uh, that's I, like, every time I put my pen down, I was like, oh, no, they've said something else. I have to write that down now. So um, so much to think about. Thank you so very much for taking your time to uh, spend the time with us. I'm just going to quickly talk about shameless plugs. I'm just going to quickly flick up our member survey, which is happening at the moment. Um, if you could all please uh, join with me in uh, thanking, ooh, 
thanking uh, Alyssa and Declan in the comments to say um, thank you so much for sharing your knowledge and expertise and being so generous with your time and also allowing people to reach out with you out to you. I'm sure your LinkedIn inboxes will be going crazy post this. Um, please check out uh, the books and the recommended reading and I'll see if I can get that slide on tools coming out to you all as well. Um, as always, check out the events page uh, because there's so much cool stuff. And if you are just buzzing and want to continue the conversation, head on over to the member hub because we can start a thread and chat all things AI. I'm sure there's many other people who weren't able to join us tonight who would be absolutely stoked to join the conversation. So finally, thank you, Declan and Alyssa. Very much appreciate your time. And I hope you all have a good evening slash day wherever you are in the world. Thank you. Thanks, Sam. Thanks, everyone.